0: Om um, Bhadram Karne Bhisranu Yamadevaha Bhadram Paśye Māksha Bhirya Jatra Sthirai Rangai Stushtu Vagam Sastanubhi Vyashema Devahitan Yadāyuhu Swastīna Indro Vridha Soestina Pusha Vishwaveda, Soestina Staksho Arishtani, Soestina Obre has Om shante 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 he hurry May Maybe here with our ears, what is auspicious? May we see with our eyes what is auspicious. While praying with steady limbs, may we attend the lifespan allotted to us. May Indra bestow well-being on us. May Pushan, the God of earth, who is all-knowing, bestow well-being on us. May Garuda, the destroyer of evil, bestow well-being on us. May Brihaspati also bestow well-being on us. Om Shanti, Shanti, Shanti. So in the last class, we were studying the eighth mantra of the second chapter, of second part of Mundakupanishad and where we found that the results which ensues on the attainment of the Brahmagyan, the knowledge of the self, has been enunciated in this mantra. So what's the mantra? Bhityate Ridayagranti, Chidyante Sarvasankshayaha so the fetters of the heart are broken. The knots of the heart are cut asunder. All the doubts are resolved. All the doubts vanish. All the work cease to bear fruit the one from whom has projected the causal state as well as the effect, the manifested universe, the entire universe with its cause as well as effect has been projected from that Brahman. Once he has been realized, drishta, it's, it's not just intellectual conceptualization. He has been perceived, the drishti, the drishti means to perceive. So when the self is realized, then all the knots of the hurt are cut asunder, all the doubts vanish once for all, and the actions won't bear fruit anymore. So that's the thing which we were discussing in the last class. The Dhridya Granthi we discussed from the perspective that once the ego falls off, the sense of limited individuality falls off, with which all the knots of the heart are connected. All the hearts, all the desires are knotted to the sense of ego. When the ego vanishes, the hub has always as if been removed. So the will of our psychophysical existence or the mental texture as if collapses. So all the desires are of the mind. Once that you get rid of the mind, as in the Bhagavad Gita, We find that same idea is being uh, stated by Bhagavan that Saravan Partha Manogatan that we were studying in the last Gita class. That all the karma, all the desires belongs to the mind. So once I get rid of the mind, once I get rid of the mind, all the desires vanishes once for all. So that's the idea which is being indicated by the time, term Vidyate-Ridhaya-Granti. From the, another perspective which, uh, with which we can understand this word vidyate ridhaya granthi, is that example of Swami Vivekananda, which we cite again and again, that as a wandering monk, when he was traveling through the desert, as a wandering monk, he was traversing, traveling through the desert, he was thirsty, he was in search of water. And then suddenly he saw a huge reservoir at a distance. To quench his thirst, he started moving towards it. And suddenly he found the reservoir vanished. It's not there. And then the idea dawned in his mind that from his childhood in the textbook, he has read about mirage. He had a conceptual knowledge about mirage. Till then, he thought he knew what mirage is. But that's the day when he realized the conceptual knowledge became experiential knowledge. So he now have experienced it. What happens the next day when again he's traversing through the traveling through the desert? Again, of course, as he's in the body mind senses again, he sees the huge reservoir. It again comes to his vision. But today, there is a huge transformation. Yesterday, the reservoir dragged him. That was the Ridaya Granthi. The knot which is the result of ignorance. It dragged him. Today, it cannot drag him anymore. The realization has removed all the knots of the heart. Because now he is convinced of the fact that it is a mere projection. It has no substantial reality. The Brahman alone is real. Everything else, being the Brahman associated with the mind is being projected as the universe, just the way the mirage is projected on the desert. So once for all, when you realize that, all the desires which belong to that projection is bound to fall off once for all. So that gives the explanation of Vidyate chidyante sarva Till we have realized there can be doubt. Intellectuality is a double-edged sword. Nothing can be proven with intellectualism. With intellectualism, anything can be proven, and at the same time, it can be, we can disapprove it. That's why we go for the legal advice. We know the lawyer do have the capacity to place the judgment in such a way that I may win the case. No one just resorts. No one takes the help of the lawyer thinking he's going to lose. What has happened? That's not the context. The context is the lawyer do have the capacity to play with the The so called laws and everything in such a way, and he can produce it with the help of his intellectualism, he can prove or disapprove anything. Yes, of course, the proof, proving and disapproving, all those things are valid as long as there is no strong evidence. So that's why in the court, two things the judge is there, of course, to argue, but if there is a strong witness, strong evidence, all those arguments are of no use. Those arguments are bound to fall off if there is a strong witness. So that's the idea. When someone is witnessed, that's the biggest proof. So all the arguments that is in the domain of intellectualism, as long as we don't have sufficient realization, we can prove anything, we can disapprove anything. Shankaracharya. Till now the world has produced very rare such intellectual giants. At such a young age he wrote all the commentaries refuting all other arguments, all other isms that was present in his days. And his philosophy still shines forth. We find it echoes even the modern disco- this inventions and discoveries of the modern science. That's sh- the Shankaracharya, even after writing his commentary, what he's saying is, is very, very interesting. Yes, with my intellectual conviction, I do have disapproved all other opinions. And I have established the Advaita Vedanta. I've done that. But know it for certain. There may be someone stronger than me as per the intellect is concerned. He can come and disapprove. He can just simply deny with intellectual this uh, what is this logic? Whatever I have established he can deny. But no one can deny the conviction, which one has from realization. What a wonderful thing he's saying. So that's what speaks of what I've seen. That's the ultimate truth. As we give that example again and again, till I have not tested the mango, there can be various opinion about the test of mango. But once I have tested it, I have known what the test is. All the doubts vanishes for me forever. I know for, it for certain that what the taste of mango is. All the doubts, all the arguments are possible before that realization has happened. So there is, in that's why Swamiji is stressing, Swami Vivekananda, that religion is realization. In this modern age, if Ramakrishna has to teach us anything Yet we say that sarva dharma Samanya? yes, that is of course something uh, Ramakrishna's life was an unique example of that. But another thing, another aspect of Sri Ramakrishna's life is that religion is not mere belief. We find that if God is, it has to be realized. So religion is realization. And when, why that's realization? because that's the only way we can go beyond all doubts any knowledge dawns from realization and religion is also a knowledge knowledge of the self and that has to be established through realization when i go to that realization then only all the doubts vanish once for all kshiyante chasya karmani that all the results of action follows ensues not because of action because of the desires behind the action. As long as our actions are result-oriented, it is motivated by the desire, it is bound to accrue results. But once the Hridaya Granthi has fallen off, I can still continue with my actions because of the prarabdha, the actions which has started to bear fruit in this life because of the past impulse, it has to be exhausted. My desires are like the switch. When I switch off the fan, I have switched off the desire. But the fan, because of its past momentum, will go on revolving for some time. To stop at last. Once its momentum is exhausted, then it will stop. So my karma will go on, even after I realize. But the, switched, the switch has been off. The switch of the desire has been off, granthi Vidyati Vidyaya Granthi speaks of that. So the action continues, but as the desire behind the action is no more there, it is just as per my present psychophysical existence, as per the circumstances in which I have, been, I have born, as per the responsibilities which I have to take care of, the actions goes on. The self knowing it for certain it is the body-mind complex. Which is going through all these stages, experiences. Guna, Guneshu, Vartante. As in the Bhagavad Gita, it has been mentioned that the external world is just responding. The body is responding through the stimuli response conditioning as it has been programmed. It is responding, but I am in no way identified with it. So the body mind complex gradually goes on exhausting the past momentum of the karma to render us atyantika mukti once it is exhausted. Ultimate liberation. Once the realization dawns in, there, that's, in that entails in jivan mukti. That though I am living, I am free. Nothing binds me. I have found out the, the, the reality behind the illusion. I found it. I have already found it, and nothing can delude me anymore. The body-mind complex goes on as per its past momentum. So that has rendered me freedom. Though apparently from outside it appears that I am taking care of all my duties and responsibilities, but actually from within I know I am just witnessing the play-interplay of the body-mind with the external world as per the circumstances. I am in no way attached to it. I am in no way identified to it. So that's why that all the karma, gets exhausted. When it happens, the one who is high and low, the whole the cause, means the mind, as we again and again have discussed the, the Brahman, first, because of ignorance appears as the cosmic mind the entire universe of the name and form is in the mind just the way before constructing a, any building in our mind the entire architect the entire design is there based on the design we prepare a blueprint the e- exact building is yet to is yet to, yet to materialize that blueprint, which is in the mind, that comes first, then comes the material manifestation. So para and avara speaks of that. The world as, just as an information in the cosmic mind, and then as a projection, as reality, both has been actually being projected by Brahman. The Brahman because of ignorance is appearing first as the cosmic mind which again in turn is finding expression as this Virata. So this the one who has realized the one who is the ultimate cause behind this existence both in the causal form as well as in the manifested form one who has realized it for him these three things becomes palpably visible. Is all the knots of the heart cut is cut ascended, all the doubts vanishes forever and the karma, the results of the karma gets exhausted. He doesn't accrue any new results for his action. So that's the thing which we discussed in the last class, the eighth mantra of the second chapter of the second part of Mundaka Panisha. Now we will proceed the ninth mantra so the brahman has been is described in this verse uh, is this, is actually the elaboration of what has been discussed in some previous verse so what it is being spoken of hiranyamay parekose virajam brahmanishkalam tat shubram jyotisham jyotihi tat yat atma vidah Tat. So if again and again we will find whenever the Brahma has been indicated, it has been indicated by the neuter gender, tat, that. Why? Because it is beyond all attributes. Whenever we have to indicate something, it's actually the attributes with which we indicate otherwise we can know, never know the thing in itself the thing in itself behind the entire existence is the brahman which is beyond all the attributes as a result i cannot say it either he or she or any attributes any color any smell nothing with nothing i can describe that so that's why in the upanishads whenever they are is this well, this the Upanishad is indicating about the ultimate reality, the Brahman. They use the word tat. So tat shubraham, jyotisham jyoti. So that ultimate reality, shubra pure, as it is bereft of all attributes, so it's pure. Jyotisham jyoti. That it is the, through the mind, the external world gets illumined. So the mind illumines the world. Who illumines the mind? It is the self. That's why it is Jyoti Sham Jyoti. It is the illuminator of the mind. The mind which illumines the external world. It is not the sun which illumines the world. Even if the sun is there, if I don't have eyes, if I am blind, can I see anything? Nothing. So what it speaks of? The eyes are again the external organs. What I see, even if I, that Swami Vivekananda in one of his lectures mentioning that I may have the most beautiful pair of eyes, but the optical nerve, which connects the eyes with the brain, if that is damaged, again, I don't see anything. So it is not the eyes. It is not uh, even the optical nerves. So something is carried by the eyes to the brain to give me a sense of light. Even when I'm seeing the sun, I say the sun is illuminating the world. To say that the consciousness has to activate my mind and the mind through the senses, here the eyes, has to as if move out and project itself in the form of that illumined sun to give us the knowledge that there is something called illumined sun, which is illuminating the entire world. So it is the self actually. That's why Swami Vivekananda used to say that nothing can be known without the self. To know the chair, he pointed a chair and saying, to know that chair, it has to be known through the self. So that's why it's, why it's Jyoti Shang through the self because without the self, there's no knowledge is possible. So that's why it is Jyoti Shang Jyoti. It is the illuminator, even of the mind, even of all the objects which has been illumined. And the real illumination is because of the self. So how this uh, this uh, this brahman shines uh, uh, forth, how can I know that brahman which is the illuminator even of the mind by that brahma karavrit which is spoken of that by the deep contemplation that I am the self by which I can get rid of all the knots which has been spoken of in the previous mantra that all the knots of the heart are cut asunder. How is it possible to cut ascended the knots of all the heart by constant, unceasing contemplation of the fact that I am Brahman. So when when you are contemplating that I am Brahman, this is the brahmakara vritti ensues from that, that your mind is having a vritti which is of the nature of Brahman, brahma akar, it's not Brahman. It is contemplating of the idea of Brahman, the concept of Brahman. When I can do it intensely, this Brahmakara Vritti resolves all other Vrittis because all other Vrittis are emanates from the idea that I am this limited self. This Brahmakara Vritti negates all this idea of limited self. So the mind, when I am in intense contemplation, then in the mind there is only one idea, that I am the Brahman. This idea speaks of hiranmaya Parakosha. kosha in Sanskrit the word para means supreme, which is beyond. To your mind to get established in that Brahma-kara-vritti, it has to get rid of all the vrittis. So this vritti is superior, is supreme, concert to all other vrittis, there are other inferiors. This Vritti has got rid of all those things. So when you have got established in that deep contemplation of Brahman, your mind has only one thought, which is illuminating your mind. So your existence is actually now identified with the last kosha, the Vijnanamaya kosha, the Anandamaya kosha, with the contemplation, deep contemplation that I am Brahman and the mind is illumined. So this Hiranmaya word is important here. which Hiranmaya speaks of the golden, means luminous golden uh, sheath. Why it is spoken of as the luminous? Because many of us, those who have, have started meditation for the first time, when our mind, which is always vacillating, it's restless, It is so tired of its restlessness, which sometimes we realize it only when we are capable of keeping the mind fixed for the time being in one thought. The mind gets a real rest and immediately it goes to a state of stupor. And many think that state of stupor is the highest state. But actually it is tamas, full of darkness. We have gone into a state of stupor. That cannot speak of the highest realized uh, the state of realization. So to indicate that the highest stage of realization is the alertness. That alertness of the tranquil state of the mind. We at present are alert. If I can just start my meditation, I am alert of the vacillations of my mind. When I try to concentrate, a time comes when the alertness goes. The vacillations are clouded. It doesn't vanish. For the time being, as the mind is not focused, it has got in a stupor state, is not focused on your mind. So what's going on, we are not aware. I think it is calm. It's not calm. Through meditation, I have to go beyond that state. It shouldn't be rajas, that completely restless. Neither you should go to the state of tamas, where it is in the deep stupor. It has to be extremely alert, but at the same time, tranquil. This speaks of the state of sattva. So when the mind is established in that state, you are still attached. The word kosha speaks of this identification. That I am not identified with the body, not with the annamaya kosha, not even with the vacillations of the mind, manomaya kosha, not even with my energy level, my vitality. Whether I am sick or I am healthy, all those things has fallen off. I am no more identified with them. But still, the last stress of identification that kosha is there, that is Hiranmaya, which is transcending all other koshas, kosha. So when you are in deep contemplation of the Brahman, so then you get the inkling of, still it's not the realization, but you get the inkling of that knowledge. It's just like you standing in front of a distortless, clean mirror. You see the exact replica of yourself. So when you're in that state, then what happens? Then you can realize that real nature is Virajam. All the Raja has fallen off. Raja, restlessness, speaks of impurity. All the Rajas has fallen off. So it is vi rajam is taintless. Brahma nishkalam, that Brahman which is reflected in that pure intellect. That's why when someone is to say that Brahma is beyond the avang gochar beyond mind, beyond speech, Sri Ramakrishna is to say, no, he shuddhaman shuddha buddhir gochar he is as if realized to the pure mind that's the pure mind is been spoken of here that's the last state of the mind where the self is as if reflected and is reflected as what as viraja it is pure it is bereft of all vacillations restlessness it is the tranquil state nishkalam for the first time i am realizing something which speaks of my real individuality. This nishkalam word means that which is without any parts. When I consider my physical body, it has so many innumerable cells, there are so many organs, senses, all those constitutes my body. My mind, so many thoughts, so many mental modules constitute my mo- mind. In this world, anything I see of having name and form is constituted of so many small constituents, so many other constituents. They conglomerate to make it a whole. Brahman has no parts; It is bereft of any such composite. It is just the... Consciousness without any part. So Nishkalam means that which is having no part, indivisible. So when we realize Brahman, then only we are individuals. Very interesting, when Swami Vivekananda in the West was describing that state, when one has realized Brahman, And he was saying that you merge in the Absolute. Someone from the audience was scared. He stood up and told, then what happens to my individuality? If I get merged in Brahman, I no more exist. Where is my individuality? Swami Vivekananda's immediate reply was wonderful. Madam, you are not individual yet. You become individual when you merge in Brahman. So it may may appear that Swamiji is saying something which I don't it is beyond comprehension. But it is something wonderful he is saying. We sometimes say some of the words without knowing its meaning. The words individual if you take, that which is not individual, that which cannot be divided is individual. At present, when I say I am an individual, it is something, uh, uh, I'm I'm using a word whose meaning I don't know, real meaning I don't know. How can I be individual? I am of so many components that today, what I think right, tomorrow I miss, it's wrong. As a child, I thought that only, that getting chocolates and toys is the goal of life. I, I myself laugh at all those thoughts, all those childish thoughts i have grown up so we are constantly changing transforming it speaks of so many various components which we have by which we are being made up some we are making unmaking by the conglomeration and again the dissolution of all those components our body is constantly being made and uh, what you say that's broken and again created but the example which we give that, uh, what's our physical body like? It's like an umbrella. An old man just his, uh, having carries an umbrella every day when he goes for a morning walk. And he proudly says to others, see, I have kept it so nicely. I have taken care of this umbrella so meticulously that it is with me for last 30 years. Uh, it, it, this example may not be applicable here. Here, the culture is anything which gets old, you throw away. In India, it's very much applicable. that People won't throw away the things generally. What they will do if they find that there's a cloth of the umbrella is a bit old. There are some holes which has developed. The stick and the frame still remains. They will go and just change the cloth. There are shops. They will do that for you for that. They will do that for you. So you have changed the cloth at certain point of time. At certain point of time, most probably the rims were broken. You have changed the rims. The main stick, that most probably was broken at certain point of time. You have changed that. So nothing of the original umbrella is there which you are carrying. But he proudly says, this is the umbrella which I'm carrying for the last Thirty years. Same with our body. Not a single cell in our body lasts for more than seven, eight, at the most, ten to twelve years. Within twelve years, the entire body, the all the cells, will be the renewed cells. If you go to Jagannath, uh, this temple and Puri, they have a practice, wonderful practice. Every twelve years, they will change the idol. The image of Jagannath Mahaprabhu. It is made of a, this particular wood, the timber, and it is changed every 12 years. The 12 year is called one yuga. Navakalevar Dharana. That he will again take the new body. Just see how wonderful the idea is. Uh, even in the biological science, they say that, that not a single cell will be there after 12 years. What today I have. All will be renewed. And that's what is that is now we also have a new body. Just like the Jagannath Mahaprabhu's, the image which is in the temple. That's what is happening. Everything is a flow. Everything is changing, making, unmaking. That speaks of the various components by which I am made. And Brahman is something which is beyond that. It is Nishkala. When I have realized that, then only I become individual. I can no more be divided. That is beyond all divisuality. As long as be can be divided, know it for certain that all these components is meant for something which is not a part of that component. This is a wonderful uh, observation in yoga, in Vedanta philosophy. In yoga's philosophy, especially. they call it Sanghato Pararthatva. Sanghato Whenever various composites conglomerate to make a whole that whole doesn't serve the purpose of any of those conglomerates Uh, it it may may be very difficult to understand an example will help us just take this the room in which I am sitting at present what are the components which has made the room the bricks the cement the mortar the timber and even if I take at present i'm just sitting using the electricity using the computer the room is lighted so all this constitutes the room now does the room serve any purpose to the brick to the mortar to the cement to the timber to the computer to the table to the chair The room doesn't serve any purpose for them, for whom the room serves a purpose for someone who is not a part or not a part, not a part of this composition. It is serving the purpose for me, for you. We are not the constituent of this room. So what a wonderful observation was made made in uh, yoga, in the Sankhya and also that has been adopted even in the Vedanta, that wherever you see the conglomerates making a whole, know it for certain, that whole doesn't serve the purpose of any of the conglomerates. So when I say that my body, the body is not, cannot in the same way for the same observation, we can say that the body doesn't serve the purpose of any of its constituents as such. It must be for something else so that way if we use our logic and go back at last we have to come to the conclusion that the ultimate one is the one who is who for whom all are serving all are serving the purpose is the one who is beyond all the so called conglomerates beyond any divisions so that is the individual. kalam he has no parts he is indivisible so when your mind gets established in that Brahmakara Vritti, which speaks of the Hiranmaya Parakosha, when your mind is illumined with the knowledge of Brahman, then you realize the Self who is Viraja, who is beyond all tain- taints, all Rajas. He is the one who is beyond any components. He Shubram, as he is Viraja, that's why he is Shubra. Anything which is has no taint of ignorance, he is the pure, the one. He is the pure one. He is Shubram, Jyoti Shang Jyoti. So he is the light of the light. The mind and intellect is illumined by Brahman, makes the body appear consciousness, conscious. When I'm moving my hand, I know that it is the mind because of which I can move my hand. The instruction is coming from the mind through the motor nerves. So the sensory nerves I perceive and through the motor nerves I react. So it's all the, actually the work of the mind. But who is activating the mind? That's the self. He is the one who is the ultimate subject. Just in the full moon night, When the entire earth is illumined by the light of the moon, what is illuminating the earth? We may feel that it is the moon, but actually it is the sun. The sun has illumined the moon, which in return the moon is illuminating the earth. In the same way, the Brahman illumines the mind and the mind is illuminating, is making our body appear consciousness. So this is the jyoti Jyoti. So that's why Sometimes in the many in many places in the Upanishads mind has been equated with chandra the moon why because just the way in the full moon night the moon uh, illumines the earth it itself being illumined by the sun similarly the mind itself being illumined by the self then it illumines my body mind complex it makes its active as well as external world through my uh, this pancha gyanendriya, the five organs of perception, the entire world is illumined, and through the pancha karmendriya, my body is made, being act, made active. So this is the real jyoti. The real jyoti is the self, because of which everything is being illumined. So the one who has realized that tat yata atma vida viduhu, it is that which they know who has known the self. They what they know that. That the self is the Jyoti sham Jyoti. It is Shubhra. It is Nishkala, and it is Viraja. And how you can know the self when your mind, your intellect, has got established in that awareness, where nothing, every, all other thought has fallen off, where you are aware of the fact that you are the pure Brahman, then only all the ignorance vanishes, you become pure and it takes you to the realization of the Brahma which is beyond all parts, it is Nishkalam. So after that, Atman as the light of light is further described in the next mantra. So we will proceed to the 10th mantra. So this again is a very oft quoted mantra. Many of you might have heard it is in the Mundaka Upanishad, what's being spoken of natatra surya bhati na tarakam nema vidyuto bhanti kuto yam agnihi tamev bhantam anubhati sarvam tasya bhasa sarvam idam vibhati the sun does not shine there natatra surya bhati na chandra tarakam not the moon and the stars nema vidyuto bhanti so all those celestial bodies, which are magnumous, huge, they also cannot illumine the self. And what to speak of lighting, the lightning, it is something small compared to sun, moon, stars. And what to speak of an ordinary fire, which most probably uh, we have lit uh, for performing some sacrifice. It's a small fire, kuto ya magni. What to speak of this ordinary fire? It doesn't. The sun does not shine there. Not the moon. Not the stars. Not the lightning. What to speak of the fire? When He shines, tamiva bhantam. When that Atman shines, tamiva bhantam anubhati sarvam. Everything shines. Tasya bhasha sarvam idam vibhati Everything, when He shines, everything shines after Him. By His light, everything is lighted. Tasya bhasha, sarvam idam vibhati. So this is the idea which the Vedanta will be pointing again and again. That how everything becomes illumined. It's not that the sun is giving light. When I say the sun is giving light, what is happening? The self is first activating the mind, and the mind, through the senses, is being projected out to, as if, envelop all these celestial bodies, to give the sensation that they are, illum they are itself illumination, and they are illuminating the earth. Without the self being active, without the self activating the mind, nothing is no perception is possible. example which we give again and again when I am seeing a red flower that redness is not in the flower this from this one example we can understand all perceptions that redness is not in the flower the we say that redness is red is a color but actually when the sunlight falls on that flower all the wavelengths are absorbed a particular wavelength is reflected it has no color That wavelength of light touches your eyes. The function of the light stops there. The light never enters your brain. The moment that particular wavelength of light touches your retina, it gets converted into optical nervous impulse. It is just a nerve current. Like an electric current, it is a nerve current. When it reaches the brain, when it reaches the brain and reaches the color perception, we are saying color perception center, but it is not perceiving color. It is a particular wavelength which has been decoded as a particular nerve impulse, which it reaches the so-called the color perception center. Actually, the color is being projected from there to come out as if through your senses to envelop the flower, to give it, the sense that it is red. So and the the friend, which is an organ of the mind, how it is working, because it has been activated by the self, even in our day to day life with the help of computer, we can understand that when I am pressing the keyboard, and in the screen that whatever I'm typing is coming there, what is actually happening? That there is this integrated circuit which is being connected with the bias voltage, the electricity. That bias voltage is this integrated circuit is nothing but gates. They call it gate because of what's the function of the gate? Either to allow or not to allow. So sometimes it is allowing the current to pass through it, sometimes it is not allowing. It's a permutation combination of that. So when it is allowing, we say it is one on is on one and when it is not allowing it is zero. So the entire computer is run by the binary system. When uh, the way this uh, we count is the decimal system from one to 10, but the computer language is totally binary. It is either one or zero on or off. So it is the same bias voltage when passing through the integrated circuit, which is nothing but innumerable gets to at last get converted into that whatever you're seeing in the screen, when I'm touching the keyboard, it is getting converted into that alphabet. So what actually I'm seeing is nothing but the same electricity, the same electricity, which as a bias voltage was without name and form is being differentiated into what I'm seeing in the screen. So what I'm seeing actually the same electricity, it is being expressed in a, uh, what do you say that? Restricted way, limited way. So when the mind is like that integrated circuit, it's it is not not the mind which is illuminating. Just as the integrated circuit is not illuminating the computer, is a bias voltage. Without that, it is all dead. IC chip is just like a dead logwood if the bias voltage is not beyond that, behind it. And when it is connected, the IC chip gets activated not to really. Uh, show the things which is being projected. It is just like a gate, allowing something in a particular pattern to express that same electricity in the form of the world of virtual reality. So same thing, the self is being expressed as the universe when it is passing through the senses in the form of these five perceptions. Our entire world is nothing but these five perceptions. So who is actually illuminating it? The self not the sun, not the stars, the galaxies, the moons, nothing, not even the fire, and the self. There's this is a wonderful revelation, which <coughs> we find in the Upanishad, in such a long, long thousands of years back, that everything, it is because of the self, the world is being illumined. <coughs> so a, there, I still remember that... Uh, in, in India, when uh, uh, I was actually asked to preside over a, in one of the college, I was requested to preside over one seminar on some, uh, on some topic of uh, on some literature of Rabindranath Tagore. Now, after the seminar paper, after this, this thesis paper was uh, presented, The students got so much bored after, you know, that it was a long deliberation. So even before the presidential address was, even I started, I was last, last, as I was presiding over the program, I was asked to last uh, deliver the presidential address as a conclusion. I found the students have started moving out. Uh, So then I still remember just to make them sit for a while. The first thing I just, request when I was seeing them, they're moving out, I asked them that just uh, uh, one, uh, that you need not sit down, just as a request, uh, let me ask you one question. What's the question? That suppose today is your birthday and you have invited many guests and we have made a lot of preparations for uh, just treating your friends, your guests or your this family members all have been invited. It's a huge preparation. And now you're waiting in the evening, you're waiting for all the guests to arrive and no one comes, how will you feel? So as uh, that question was asked, I found that they just uh, stopped. They were all moving out. They didn't sit, they were just, just stopped there because they found that why he's asking that question. They were a bit curious. The next question I asked again, Say so in your college, a program has been arranged. And when the one who is presiding over the program, he has came with the idea to address the students. And when he gets up and is about to address the students, he find in that all the chairs are empty. How will he feel? First, I gave the example of the birthday party and then and they related. Then I understood, actually, he's indirectly just indicating that we should sit. Now I found slowly few of the students started coming back, they took their seat. And then to enter into that topic of discussion, the Tagore's literature. Now Tagore's most of the poem reflects this idea. As far as the idea, one of the poems, it is very nicely indicated. It's many poems we find the same idea. That Jagoteir Ananda amar Nimantran Dhunno holo Dhunno holo Mano One of the songs he's writing. That in this huge fist, Ananda yogge god's huge fist i am the invited guest just like the way that you have arranged so many things for your birthday party and no one comes how will you feel so god arranged the stars galaxies everything it's a huge buffet there's no guest and then he brings in the guest he invites the guest and brings him everything comes from him who is the guest we why we are the guest just see in this world, we say we as a human being are just a minuscule creature compared to the universe. Nowadays, uh, whenever the you know the, the, the astronauts takes the picture of our Earth from the space, they have that feeling that we are such minuscule, small thing floating in the space. We are as if nothing. That's a, and that gives a sense of transcendence. But one other thing we forget, in the phys- as per the physical, our physical existence is concerned, that Earth itself is so small compared to the, all the stars and galaxies. And how small we are. We are just like small insects crawling on the surface of the Earth. How small we are. But one thing we forget. The Upanishads say you are not small, you are mahatomahiyan, greater than the greatest. That though physically I can be just crushed to almost something which is minuscule, but it is my mind through which the entire universe gets illumined. Whether the universe is there or not, the universe doesn't know. The sun itself is such a huge uh, body in the galaxy. such body which is illuminating this our planet the sun itself doesn't know that it gives light that it is something huge it is magnumus. it doesn't know it has to depend on my certificate i say you give light and then the sign is giving light who is there to say sun gives light this earth is uh, this universe is infinite unless some sentient being through the body mind complex is as if popping out to and, and to just uh, what is the pop out and to permeate the entire universe to say it is such a huge thing. So we have the invited guests of God for this huge bra- this, this banquet he has given in the form of stars and galaxies. This huge universe, it's a huge banquet of the God. At last, we are as if the invited guest. The self within us, unless and until certifies the greatness, no one is there to even perceive that greatness. So it is from within, as if the entire world has been uh, ex- is projected. We find that the, in the in the Bible, the idea was that the earth is the center. Everything is... entire universe is as if revolving around it and then of course we find that galileo came and find out that this idea that earth is the center is wrong but vedanta believes something else it is not even the earth i am the center of the universe can any science deny that no science can deny that unless i am not there who knows It is through the mind and the senses, the way the mind and senses is projecting the universe. That's the universe. What actually it is, no one knows. It's already been filtrated by the mind and senses. The self sitting behind the mind and senses is being projected as per the the, the trends of the mind and senses to project it as the universe as we are seeing. So, unless the self is there, nothing is. That's the idea of subjective idealism in Buddhism. In Buddhism they don't speak of self, but the idea is still there, this wonderful idea that because of the intellect, the universe is being projected the way we see it. There's a nice story in Buddhism. One of the cousins of Buddha, his name was Aniruddha. Aniruddha was born uh, with a special faculty. Why that not uh, that's a special boon? Because of some past pious deeds, he was having that uh, he had the boon that whatever material things he wants, he that the desire has to be fulfilled. Or any any material thing he needs, he, he he's bound to get it. He was bound to. Uh, get the things which he desired for. He was sattva-sankalpa. Now, it so happened that as a small child, Aniruddha was playing with other children and they started uh, as a part of the childish game to gamble with whatever things they have. As a small child, they have nothing. What they have, they only have the lunch box the mother all the children's mother knew that these children will be outdoors spending quite a lot of time and as the parents were busy they already provided with the lunch box okay you have the lunch box whenever you feel hungry you have your food so that's the only wealth they are having so with that they started that gambling and aniruddha got so much engaged in the game he was losing but he was he didn't want to come out of the game so he went on gambling with, just, with all the breads, the pile of breads, which he had one by one, he lost everything. But now he wanted to continue with the game. So he asked the servant, go, my, go to my mother and bring another pile of breads. The mother thought, most probably my child is a bit more hungry today. So he again packed the lunchbox with the breads. Again, he finished all gambling. And now he was tired and exhausted. He really wanted to have food. So again he ordered, go and bring the pile of breads for me. So this time when he goes, the mother suspects that there is something wrong. The child cannot have so much of food. So this time she gives back the empty lunchbox and says to the servant, go and give this lunchbox to my child and say, no bread. No bread. So the servant, when when he's re- returning, when he's again going back to give that empty lunchbox to Aniruddha. Now all the Devas. very interesting. The word div, the Deva came from Div Dhatu, means that which is illuminate, is illuminated. Now all the Devas they have very illuminated, their bodies are illuminating. That's why they are called Devas. But again, the word dev may mean our sense organs, which illumines the world for us. So this has two meaning. So first we take the meaning as the celestial beings, the illumined celestial beings, the devas. So they knew that Aniruddha has been born with the boon, that all his material uh, desire should be fulfilled. Now he wants bread. How can just uh, it, it be not fulfilled? Because the servant is taking by the empty box. So the devas conspicuously fill the empty lunch box with celestial breads. Now, when the servant goes and delivers that empty lunchbox, the so-called empty lunchbox to Aniruddha and says, no bread. Aniruddha opens and finds all those celestial breads. He has never tasted such delicacy previously. He finishes them and says, go back to my mother and ask him to give more no breads. The no bread has become an entity for him. It's a very interesting story. So that's what is happening. What's happening? That from the mind and senses is bringing the, whatever is coming from the external world is empty lunchbox. The senses are as if filling them with the celestial breads in the form of sight, sound, touch, smell, all the five senses, and test. And just like the uh, for Aniruddha, the no weight, no bread becomes an entity. The external world just gives the framework, is our senses which fills it. And that speaks of the idea which has been spoken. That all the things, even the illumined things which are seeing, are just the mere framework, the suggestion. What they are, we don't know. There is something, but what it is, with my mind and senses, I can never off. I can never know about them. I can never know what they are. It's a self and self alone, which is permeating and mind and sense, mind and senses is projected out to project this world of name and form. So that's why it is a self and self alone. When it shines, everything shines. So Neema Bhanti, Bhantam, Sarvam, Tasya Idam If it shines, Everything science. So that's the idea which has been spoken of in this mantra. So one more mantra remains for this as a conclusion of this chapter. So we in the next class, we will have a just a summary of the entire chapter and conclude with the 11th mantra before we proceed to the next chapter in the succeeding classes. Thank you all. Namaskars.